Oye, oye, oye. All right, everybody. Welcome to uh, I Want You to Watch This. If you're listening to this right now, go out there and do your due diligence and subscribe. Like us. Follow us on all of your podcatcher apps. If you're listening on Podbean, if you're listening on Stitcher, if you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, any of the things, just hit the follow button and subscribe to us. That is how we get people to listen to us. That is how we get more people to listen to us. So if you're listening right now, follow us. If you would like to leave some feedback, please do. If it is on your app, if it is in your web browser, let us know what you think. Give us five stars if you can. Please give us five stars. We're pretty awesome. And let's get on with the show. Because if she's the one who killed, like, I don't even remember the name of that blonde character, why does she need to frame Bruce Willis? There's no reason for her to frame Bruce Willis. Well, because <laughs> otherwise people might think it's her. Why? I don't know. <laughs> why reasons? Is she logic? Why anything? Any logic for this movie? Oh, yeah, Perfect I, Stranger from... 2007? The- yeah. Halle Berry, Bruce Willis, Giovanni uh, Ribisi, Giovanni playing like Ribisi. the biggest creep of creeps. Yeah. Oh, oh, and we forgot all the Italian credits afterwards. What the hell so was that? <laughs> that just made no sense. That was so crazy. But again, if anything, that was the thing that made the most sense throughout the movie. So, <laughs> yeah, Considering how much the rest of the movie made sense, sure, put the credits in Italian. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, so, so we're just talking about Perfect Stranger, an utterly baffling movie that, uh, I mean, maybe watch it with like a group of friends and have some drinks and just talk shit through the whole thing, cause because that's know, what we did. How else are you going to get through that stinker? Yeah. Yeah, if you were watching it like alone, you'd probably be com- like contemplating suicide because of how bad it is. <laughs> Well, yeah, so welcome to I Want You to Watch This. Uh, the movie that we're actually doing today is the documentary on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG. R, yep. Yep. <laughs> We've yeah. been having some back and forth between the like red, RG, green, blue, and yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So. We're all going to get it wrong at least once. <laughs> but yes, we are doing the documentary for RBG, the notorious RBG, the supreme RBG, and um, we have a very special guest joining us today. Uh, his name is Jim. He is a lawyer and he does lawyer things. I, I do do lawyer things. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Jim uh, also is Tara's husband. Uh, and he is here to talk with us today about this movie because it is a very judicious movie. There are some laws discussed, <laughs> so I feel like I can maybe provide some help. Yeah. Uh, so what type of law do you practice, Jim? Uh, securities regulation compliance. Oh, so SEC. SEC, yes. I make sure that um, investment advisors only rip off their clients the acceptable amount. <laughs> When he first was studying this, I was like, so you're going to be like a law cop? And he's like, I can't arrest anybody. (laughs) I'm I'm more like a hall monitor. I yell when people run too fast. (laughs) But, you know, it's fulfilling. (laughs) Well, yeah, so, um, yeah, we're going to just dive right into this movie. I don't really think we need to break this into a spoiler and spoiler-free discussion. No. Um, We'll just take a break at some point in our discussion because, yeah, I mean, it's RBG, like, at this point, if you don't know who she is, like Google search yes. because, um, as we find out, like even more so, like I didn't know a whole whole lot about her, but like she is like a phenomenal woman. Like no, I can't stand one of like the most it. impressive women of like the twentieth century. One of the most impressive people. Period. Like yeah. one yeah. of the most impressive human beings. Like I just, uh, I have such a new appreciation for her. You know, outside of like 
just the thing, the very little that I do know about her as far as, uh, you know, I've seen like a few of like her descents and things like that um, have been uh, lately have been particularly uh, prevalent. Um, considering, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like anytime anything's going on with Ruth Bader Ginsburg at this point, it's like immediately top trending. It's like, what's going on with RBG? We, we all need to know. We need to make sure she's okay. Um, it also is a nice because this is the documentary version, not to be confused with on the basis on the of basis sex, of sex, yeah, the um, biopic version that is in theaters now. In theaters now, yeah. Yep. And I do have a bone to pick with that fine film which i have not yet seen but the trailer uh as tara knows i have a little hissy fit whenever i see it because they've edited it so that the kicker is the character ruth bader ginsburg says well freedom does not appear in the constitution and yes it does (laughs) put my um lawyer hat off for a second and try to go with it i'm sure it's a fine film i have not yet seen it Um, But yeah, um, through this movie, we get a pretty in-depth glance into Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life. Um, Are we just going to call her like Ruth Bader Ginsburg this entire time? I feel like using all three of her names is just like the bare minimum, but like Justice Ginsburg. Yeah, we could say Justice Justice Ginsburg is I want to put some respect on her name, you know. Justice Ginsburg. Um, And so yeah, we get uh, a pretty in-depth look into her life, um, pretty much starting from when she starts college is like where we kind of really dig in. Um, she, she starts goes, college and she's like one of the only women in Harvard Law School. Well, so she first started at Cornell. Oh yeah, she was, started at Cornell. Yeah, um, then, which at the time was like, <clears throat> she was saying was one of the first classes where there was like a, a regulated and mandated um, ratio for like men to women. Which is one to four. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, she was, again, like a part of that class and a part of that time where, um, yeah, like she would literally, there was an ability to have too many women like in, in college, like getting educated. Um, and I feel like one of the first things that we get um, from her mom that uh, really stood out throughout the entire documentary and that we can see very clearly like through her life is um, the phrase, be a lady, be independent. Yeah, I think yeah. She, she broke it down so nicely about what does be a lady mean to her mother, and it's um, to not waste time on useless things like anger, um, which I thought was really interesting for one of the like leading feminists um, to uh, say that this was a useless um, uh, feeling a lot of the times for her, and that to be independent meant, meant to you might be you might get married, but that it's really about fending for yourself. Yeah, uh, and we definitely have seen throughout. Um, like her demeanor is very, it's very clear that she embodies that. She is uh, very clearly uh, measured in everything that she says. Her words are always extremely well thought out. Um, we, the one moment that they bring up where she, you know, says something negative about Donald Trump, and that was like 2016 before he was actually elected, um, was like one of the only times that. It's been like, oh, Ruth, I can't believe you would say that. And it was like, uh, actually, it was pretty still like. Still measured. very tame. Thing. Yeah, it was still yeah. like, yeah, a very well thought out statement. It was something that um, was 100% accurate. Like, it's not like she was But wrong. it was just because but, it was a breaking of protocol. That, exactly. Like, a justice is not supposed to be commenting on the, the like, eligibility of a candidate for. Right. I also thought it was uh, very telling that Orrin Hatch sat down. Um, to you know, be a talking head in this yeah. documentary, given that you know Orrin Hatch is, uh, shall we say, on the other side of the spectrum than uh, the movement that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is coming from. So the idea that even he would say, you know, uh, you know, she apologized for it. Um, you know, uh, Supreme Court justices are human, they, and she made a mistake, so move on. That's kind of also telling. That stood out to me because. I don't think uh, there are probably many other people from the right who would say that about Ruth Bader Ginsburg at this point. Yeah, and I feel like even that is something... It's it, There's a level of, like I feel like, insidious nature to like, even the words that he chose for that. Uh, because, again, it was like, 
it's okay because she apologized. Like it was, it was, and I understand his point of view because mm-hmm. you know that's his side, and of course he's, yeah, he's gonna have nothing really nice to say. Uh, and so I feel like that was the nicest thing he could have possibly said without like actually saying anything like that nice about her. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just shocked that I, he sat down for this documentary, let alone didn't, you know, go on a tirade. So, yeah. you know, grading on a curve there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, she is like, we do see that she's, you know, while she is a very progressive justice and she is, you know, definitely on the left she still can work with people on the right i mean she was very good friends with justice scalia yes we kept asking ourselves we're like is the photo of the elephant them riding the elephant going to be in the documentary because that image went viral and it's an interesting one but i want to go back to orrin hatch for a second because i think it was orrin hatch during her confirmation they showed the clip of during the confirmation where he said look we don't agree on anything politically but I want you to be on the Supreme Court, right? That he was, but he had to, it wasn't it Orrin Hatch? It, it was, was Orrin Hatch, yeah. yeah. But again, that he has to frame it as, well, I don't agree with you, but I'll be the bigger person and say <laughs> that you deserve it. That whole scene was very interesting and to kind of uh, be the non-lay person watching it. Uh, 1993 confirmation hearing for Ruth Bader Ginsburg set the tone for the modern... Um, kind of default for justice being saying we're I'm not going to speculate on how I would rule and that's coming from the history of Ruth Bader Ginsburg explicitly talking about abortion during that um, confirmation hearing so it's been a litmus test since then to try to suss out whether or not someone is pro or anti-abortion and you can tie it directly back to that moment and again it's not explicitly referenced in the film but it's kind of interesting to know that and see it did they ask Sandra Day O'Connor about her views on abortion? Uh, they didn't. Sandra Day O'Connor was actually pre-Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg. So that's another interesting element of the film that, oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is great. And, oh, yeah, Sandra Day O'Connor was already on the Supreme Court. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that the thing that it definitely highlights is not even saying that she was, oh, like the first, you know, woman justice because, you know, obviously that wasn't the case. Um, but just talking about how much um, she's advocated for and fought for uh, her own agency as a woman and for the agency of like all women and to have them on equal footing. And um, I thought that the case that she's argued with the man who wasn't able to receive um, uh, beneficiary um, funds. Or, I yeah, the, the Social Security survivor benefits. And uh, this is an interesting um, uh point in the film because I would say that case was probably the most uh, legalese where they're actually trying to parse the difference between uh, you know one gender classification and another and uh, to really bore the listeners out there the, <laughs> Bring it. the, um, the, uh, the way to think about it is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the ACLU during her fight, they weren't necessarily just trying to get individual wins and win individual battles. They were really trying to win the war so that not just that the plaintiffs won, but that the judiciary would reframe how they considered these kinds of cases in the future. So they wanted to win for the individual plaintiff, and then they also wanted the system to acknowledge that they had to think about these cases in a different way. And so was that the Frontera v. Richardson case where they're talking about they needed that one more judge to vote in order to actually take it to that next level of being able to do that? Right, right. That's a good, yeah, that's a good example right there that um, it was, they won for that individual client, but that would mean that going forward, the same kind of mentality would uh, still be pervasive. So they didn't actually change the hearts and minds of folks. They just kind of won on their very specific facts. But can you maybe talk a little bit, because you've talked before about like gay rights and things like that, of kind of that that's a continuing strategy of picking cases that the Supreme Court will like based around um, their existing biases? Sure. So, you know, if you can find a straight white man who has been the victim of uh, some kind of discrimination, then you're good to go. Um, 
uh, I mean, I am being a little bit facetious there, but uh, for example, the I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here, but Obergefell case from 2015, which um, recognized same-sex marriage, two of the plaintiffs in that were, uh, uh, mem- one was a member of the military whose marriage to his husband was recognized in one state, but he was transferred to a different military base in a different state that didn't recognize their marriage. So it was kind of, uh, hey, this I am personally being affected as a man. Maybe this isn't great. If you frame it that way and not necessarily that... Uh, um, that it's about you know queerness or anything like that. It's I, a man, am being discriminated against by being in one state versus another. This should be federally decided. And, and that, I, I would say that that's... Uh, also referenced in the film where there was one clip of Supreme Court argument um, where a judge was asking Ruth Bader Ginsburg, well, couldn't women just be judged by a jury of their peers, which are also women, which is an interesting, you know, launching point for whether or not a man can judge a woman or a woman can judge a man. Well, that was because that was when they were uh, trying to decide uh, if women could or women were able to like volunteer or, uh, exempt themselves from jury service right uh and so yeah who i forget who was saying it but yeah they were pretty much like well like if your whole thing is like all people are equal then like why can't like a man just like judge a woman on trial like why does it matter if there's like women and she's like like no i'm not saying that men and women are the same i'm saying that they're different and they still deserve equal rights and equal protection under the law like i'm not that doesn't mean that they're exactly the same that means that regardless of their differences they still are deserving of equal representation and equal rights and yeah that was a great moment i, I really was like i almost like clapped like i was like <laughs> i was like so sick clapped. and just like in my like blanket wrapped up on the couch but i was just like yes <laughs> yeah and you know there there uh, there's a really interesting blip in the 20th century where you went from uh, a standard of you know judging someone's actions the phrase used to be what would a reasonable man do and that has since been replaced with what would a reasonable person do um and for a moment like i said there was a blip about whether or not you should have uh the phrase reasonable woman if it had to do with a woman and it didn't actually go that way but it's an interesting moment in um legal history and you know but it's kind of more of a thought experiment that's more than anything else one of the things we haven't talked about yet um that i love in this film is we explore the relationship and just the wonderful partnership that justice ginsburg had with her husband marty that was the next thing i was going to say marty is amazing (laughs) and and how the film like and mostly he doesn't treat it as remarkable or strange that like he sets his career aside to like uh, emphasize hers it's just a thing of like yeah this is what we're doing it because this like her career is more important right now and i just love that aspect i love that that partnership yeah i think one of the first thing that she says about him is like uh, marty was so confident in his own ability um you know like and who he was and so sure of himself that yeah he never saw her as a threat like he never and he there's multiple times when he's like joking throughout the movie where he's like Oh, like, you know, she doesn't give me advice about cooking. I don't give her advice about the law. Like, even though they're both lawyers. Like, yeah. <laughs> the best at his job. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's, what, tax law? Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was at one point considered, like, the best tax lawyer in New York City, which is a huge deal. Yeah. But, but I think, going back to her comment about threat, right, of men seeing powerful, smart, intelligent, well-educated women as a threat, I really like how that keeps bubbling up again and again in the film, of course, because it happened in her life. But the... Um, uh, the idea that the dean would invite, because there was only 2% women at Harvard at the time, and the dean would invite you know, all nine of them over, and he would uh, force them to prove why they should be there when they're taking place of a, man, a potential male um, student, right? And that, like, justify your um, reason for being here, even though you're already here and excelling. Yeah. Oh, God. And the other... Academia. And, yeah. oh, <laughs> and the... I really like the clip of uh uh marty talking about how uh he of course he gave up his job in new york because his wife got a better one in dc it's kind of similar what was colin was just saying yeah this is a no-brainer um but 
it, you know, at the time, it probably was not. <laughs> <laughs> it may not still be. Jim and I were laughing because uh, he has been, I have uprooted his career twice <laughs> since we've been together following me for jobs. Marty just seems like one of the most, like, truly genuine, amazing people. Uh, and, like, the perfect match for uh, Justice Ginsburg. It's just, like, the... Uh, they talk about like their dynamic, how he was like very much like the outspoken, the the life like, of the party, jovial, yeah, and yeah. she was just kind of like reserved. Um, but then also you could see when they're like together and the like the clips that they had of them together that he also like brought some of that out in her. Like he also like brought out like a little bit of that like that spark and like that joy the and like you yeah, can see her cracking up in their interviews together. Yeah, I actually like that as part of the film itself and not just the content because uh you know i'm sure there are attorneys like me out there that could just listen to uh, justice ginsburg talk in uh monotone about her greatest achievements but it was nice <laughs> to have her you know laughing or you know reflecting on genuine moments and um i thought that was a that was a enjoyable filmmaking technique to kind of scale her and frame her life talking about her husband yeah and in that same uh, light. I really enjoyed the clips of them showing her the SNL parodies of her because she was like, what is this? I, like, I haven't watched it in forever. I don't have time to watch Saturday Night Live, but just seeing the joy on her face and like her laughter at Kate McKinnon's portrayal of her was really, really sweet. Yeah, well, on that note, I think we're going to take a little break and then we'll be back with some more RBG. <laughs> Clinton never made Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> <laughs> also, a really good decision that Jimmy Carter made. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, unsung hero Jimmy Carter, white man as president, looks at the judiciary and says, "Hey, everybody looks like me. Maybe we should change that." <laughs> oh my God! Like seriously, that, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> um, could you imagine? Like, I just, I. Uh, the political landscape is hell is 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 hell right now. Um, so like, just imagining like, uh, yeah, a president just yeah. It's, 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 a, it's kind of like hard. I'm like I'm like having a hard time remembering like decency like within like imagining a president. a president doing that. Imagining um, a Congress having a like well reasoned and you know calm hearing for a Supreme Court justice and her responding with really smart reciseful answers not things like i like beer yeah <laughs> i just here's my calendar for spring break <laughs> <laughs> so this is like one of those things where um i hope one day in the year like 2055 when like ruth is like finally to rest and we've like given her all of our organs um that yeah, we're gonna line up like yeah <laughs> you need them. there's like this like i like hope that there's like this like cache of letters or like just like writings that are revealed where she just like spills like all of the tea like of like everything that's like <laughs> like because it's like she's again one of the most like respectable like one of the most like but i just know she's seen some things i know she's heard some things i know she knows like the dirt like and yes. i just like i would love if like that just like came out like after her passing it was like oh hey by the way like ruth had this like secret vault where she like had her burn book you know yes. like <laughs> that, that is like being a lady right of kind of useless anger versus useful anger right yeah. channeling all of that into methodically step by step case by case changing the law right yeah yeah well the other you know we mentioned sandra day o'connor but uh some personal effects of hers came out so she and Ju chief justice rehnquist were in the same law school class in stanford and she outperformed him but he went on to become the chief justice and she oh, was an wow. associate justice but it turns out that after one date they, they actually did go on one date and after one date he proposed to sandra day o'connor in law school and no, and that was buried in her personal effects. It wasn't until years and years later. So, I'm Scandalous. sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there's all kinds of goodies that the Supremes 
you know, the, not the band, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The, the Supremes. The Supremes <laughs> have, have, uh, have hidden away there. The, that, by the way, is the title of a West Wing episode where they're, Bartlett is going to appoint a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> the Supremes. Uh, I do love, um, again, like, as much as, like, Justice Ginsburg has, like, had to, like, work through and, like, how much she's had to, like, how many, like, blocks she's had to like tear down like doors she's had to kick in um she's always like still thinking like beyond herself so it's it's like she uh like one of the first things that she we talk like she talks about in the movie is you know seeing um you know not just like women but like women of different complexions of different backgrounds like giving like having access to like every opportunity like under the law and that's something that i feel like is very a very like important and clear distinction to make uh especially like you know we live in the society where like 53 percent of white women voted for you know someone who is like a racist like like misogynist yeah Yeah. and it's just like it's like being a woman doesn't like 100 percent necessarily um mean that you can't also like have these like you know, uh, nationalistic, uh, you know, homophobic views, like anything like that. And like for her to like from a very like young time, like a very early time, like be at the forefront of like not only working for herself because uh, Susan B. Anthony was also a racist. Like she said she would rather, you know, uh, I think rather like die or something than like see like the Negro get the vote. Like and like things like that where she was like very clearly and like very actively working to not just get rights for like her group of people for like herself and like people like her for like everyone yeah and i think the film my favorite kind of film making part of the film is when um i don't remember which case it is i think it's either the first or second one but where they take the words that she's strategically using subordinate less than right devalued all of those words that are in her um brief yeah, Jim's nodding. <laughs> and the film um, superimposes those words over images, on historical the images yeah. of, you know, African-American women, lots of people of color, women working in factories, and kind of really um, kind of brings up the, um, again, what you're saying, what, what you're saying, Craig, like visually describes that idea. Yeah, and I would say that also goes to her legal strategy in general, which was that if you're going to have distinct categories of people, then you have to then explain how one is better or not better than the other. Why are these categories if it doesn't intrinsically have some kind of value attached to it? And that's where she, the film does a good job of that's what was her winning strategy in almost all of the cases that are featured, right? You know, explain explain why these categories are if it has nothing to do with inferiority. I like how uh, her granddaughters appear in it and they talk about how they call her Bubby, which is like uh, Yiddish for grandmother. But at just time, anytime I hear Bubby, I just think Die Hard because I always think of Ellis was Hans Booby, I'm your white knight. So does that mean in Die Hard when Ellis is trying to, he's calling Hans Gruber his grandmother? I have never seen Die Hard. So. Oh, that's oh, right. I always forget that you yeah. haven't seen it. <laughs> yes. okay, well, it's going on the list. On the list. <laughs> um, yeah, and then um, when they ask how she responds to like a lot of the blatant sexism that she's been on the receiving end of and she says you know never in anger like again back to that you know being a lady again she just never is not on she's always on she's always uh compartmentalizing as they said um i think one of her friends was talking about how she's able to like um after you know marty died she was you know took the time to grieve but then you know when she came out it was like you know like no tears like i'm here to do my job i'm here to uh serve the american people i'm here to get this done (laughs) yeah yeah and i that hearing all these people from her life describe her as reserved serious 
They even say almost timid, right? Which, again, you think these are negative words people use about women. But in her case, that it really was kind of strength. And don't get me wrong, anger is a really powerful tool for social justice. But that she was kind of taking a slightly different tack. And I, I really appreciate that. But also that she was a performer, right? That when she was in front of the Supreme Court or when she was on it or when she was talk articulating her ideas, she knew how to perform them and speak to her audience. Um, in a really controlled way. But going back to compartmentalizing, so uh, I guess one of my, as a late non-legal person, I remember when Jim showed me all the photos of, you know, this is before they, I guess they, people in the legal community know that they were, that uh, she and Scalia were such close buds and they would go to the opera and, you know, ride on elephants together and stuff. And I was like, wait, what? How can she do that? This man is terrible, <laughs> <laughs> right? Do you want to try and quickly describe Scalia's crazy views? <laughs> uh, editorializing aside, the late Justice Antonin Scalia took a view of the Constitution that is very rigid, and um, he's considered an originalist, capital O, which is a school of thought, which is you are supposed to view either the Constitution or a given law with the same understanding of the words in those sentences as the people who first used them and his his critics of his would say that it's uh, very coincidental that uh, his views as a conservative Catholic seem to match what he thought the founding fathers <laughs> thought a lot so that was that would be the even though yeah. some of them were like very outspokenly and staunchly like anti-theist like yes yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and I, th I think the film does a really nice job of her countering they kind of summarize Scalia quickly and then she says yeah but let's go back to we the people because if we're talking about we the people who's the we when it was written exactly. well it's not women it's not people of color it's not you know like and, and tearing the, that argument down there very it, it, within the legal community there is uh, uh, I would say that Scalia's legacy both on the left and the right is a style of argument that really does get down to the nitty-gritty of defining your terms, being consistent with your use of terms, and uh, being persuasive in that way versus the uh, uh, different tactic of either appealing to someone's uh, sense of justice or sense of reasonableness or what feels right and being more uh, particular and specific and very tactical with your language. I would say that regardless of your views on Scalia, that would be his uh, legacy. But compared to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Antonin Scalia was very much a uh, <laughs> conservative justice, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea that they could be in their off hours, that they would go to the opera together, that they would hang out together, to me, Again, I don't know if I can compartmentalize that well. Oh, I 100% would not be able to do that. Like, I just, I know, like, to the core of my being, like, and I feel like it's one of those things where because of the level of influence she has, because of, like, her background and the way that she's had to, like, navigate, uh, these areas that have been dominated by a lot of men like this, I could see how that happens because someone as myself who is like affected by the decisions of someone like Antonin Scalia, it's someone who yes. who is like on the receiving end of like the like discriminatory and like uh, and essentially like inferior in, like creating like these this inferiority. Um, through the mindset of him and people like him, it's not that is not someone that I could ever, ever in my life have any sort of like association with. But I also don't have like the level of like influence and power of someone as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is on the Supreme Court, who is like actually able to like counter and like be like a, have a voice, a, yeah, a, a foil really and a reflection voice, yeah. and pushed back like a one-on-one -on -one level against the things that he says and does and so i could see how she's able to again find that level of like compartmentalizing with a job that they do where she actually gets to do that where she gets to or got to be that person who was like pushing back against his ideology and his rhetoric uh and then and also still like so. yeah, you're totally yeah and right. also still at the end of the day be like okay well 
we're 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 off the job right now. I know you have these views, but like, let's just focus on this other thing that. Because again, there's not a lot of people that are at her level either. Like, just period. There's not a lot of people that are at that level. Even in the film, her like friend and her like coworker says, "I wouldn't have been able to do it." Yeah. Well, the there, you know, it's not referenced in the film, but this is uh, an anecdote um, of Justice Alito, the um, one of George W. Bush's appointees, who is by no means a social justice warrior lefty. <laughs> um, there was a Supreme Court case involving. Uh, the regulation of video games about whether or not you know video games needed to be regulated like movies if uh, you needed uh, you know the equivalent of an R rating or things like that and uh, Justice Alito was very frustrated with Scalia's line of questioning and he said in open court what would James Madison say about video games which is again <laughs> these are these are supposedly two men who share an ideology but you could tell the frustration just interpersonally was on the edge so again more credit to justice ginsburg to not only thread that needle of professionalism but also have a relationship outside of that and just um so the film was directed by two women betsy west and julie cohen and i feel like one of the themes that really came out again going back to the dean example but uh i I appreciated hearing justice ginsburg talk about the are they indulging me when she read her first case before the Supreme Court because they weren't asking questions. They were just, are they listening attentively or are they just indulging me, right? Are they just putting up with this? Are they actually listening? Um, Phrases like nice girls don't speak up and don't make demands. Um, There's a couple other ones in there that I think, oh, that uh, you've ruined, oh, maybe that's a good segue to the um, Virginia um, VMI case, right? That you've ruined the history of this institution by allowing women in it. Oh yeah, that was a interesting. Like, first of all, like that place seems scary as hell. <laughs> <laughs> they were like doing like all, like the when they were doing like all of, like the the B roll for the yeah. uh, Virginia Military Institute. And it was just like I was in ROTC for like four years because I didn't want to do PE, and that was like the thing that you could do instead of oh, PE in oh, high awesome. school because it was you just had to do like the presidential fitness uh, exam like once a year. Um, but yeah, so I was like in ROTC, it was like, I'll never be in the military. I could never be in the military. It was, it was, it was confirmation for me of like, this is not something I could ever do. It's just like a level of, um, well, cause I mean, the whole point of it is like, there's, you're supposed to like break you down as an individual. So you learn to work as a unit and you learn to work as like a team and, you know, I have no problem like working with other people, but like at that level of like where it's just like you're like literally like degraded and like torn down like for the semblance of like unity it's just it seems like it strikes me as very abusive and i don't like it <laughs> well there's also built into the assumption that like because they're, they're like well young men they don't they can't have distractions implying that women would be the distraction I'm like how many gay men are in there like but also, it's also just this whole thing about these young men they're full of hormones and uh. all this, at this time in their lives they gotta have this discipline <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm women, sure there's some stuff going on in bunks. Exactly. In the... <laughs> Obviously, women are so powerful that the presence of one of them would cause chaos. That's the the takeaway there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jim, could you tell us a little bit about the legal like implications of that case? Sure. So the, I mean, for for those of you who have seen the film, I think the film does a really good job of explaining that particular case. But um, the state of the law now, you know. It compared to the state of the law, say in the seventies, was uh, as in the seventies, you could have this, you know, discriminatory kind of regime as long as it was kind of rational. And rational was being very generous in that you could point to some reason, like for example, the the um, uh, film points out that women in many states couldn't open bank accounts without their husband's permission, and if the um, state could say, well, we're doing this because we think that it's a family unit and that's why. As long as there is some reason that isn't just, you know, they felt Straight like it. Straight up discrimination. <laughs> yeah, as long as, they, as long as they could point to something, that was fine. Um, but now the world that we live in, there are kind of three uh, standards about whether or not something, uh, how you view something, how judges view something. There is still that rational basis test out there for things that don't pick on an individual so for example um you know don't 
run a red light because we don't want traffic accidents. Is that a rational policy decision? Yes. The other side of it is if you have uh, if you have a policy discriminating on the basis of race, then the analysis shifts where the government really has to prove that there is a compelling reason for that. And at the end of the day, what that means is that it, 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 there is none. There, it's almost impossible to satisfy that test. What that leaves for gender discrimination is, I kid you not, the test is called intermediate scrutiny. And it's kind of this vague in-between racism and in-between rational. So <laughs> progress, yay! Can you give an example of that? Um, uh, uh, yes, I can. So, uh, I mean, there, it, it hasn't really been litigated, but internal military policy was that up until a few years ago that women couldn't serve in combat because they were seen as either in general too physically weak or because of, uh, you know, uh, I think in the 90s they called it female problems on the front lines. What is that? They um, mean menstruation? Menstruation. menstruation. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, that that would be a, uh, uh, you know. Because people don't bleed on the front lines? A hazard. Again, <laughs> again that was um, in the 90s. And there's been a little bit of pushback, but it, it hasn't necessarily been a court case and more just changing um, uh, policy. policy internally. But up until, you know, uh, I would say the last three or four years where women have gone through combat training, it was this intermediate scrutiny that it's slightly more than rational, but then if you could prove that an individual woman could do all the same things and you could open it up, that's kind of that intermediate scrutiny, if that makes sense. I, I you know, I hope that is clear as mud. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, I, so essentially it's saying, you know, you can't just say all women are not able to do this because... Like, there is the possibility that there are women who can, and so those women deserve to, a chance to do that. Right, right. So I would, I would think of it in terms of if you pass a law that's racist on its face, then you have to absolutely 100% prove that there is some very good, genuine policy reason why you're doing it. If you're passing a law that is neutral, like I, I'm using the stop sign thing again, as long as you can point to a reason why you're doing it, the burden is on the um, a, you know aggrieved party, the person who's claiming that that stop sign is violating their rights to prove their case. That sort of middle band in between, that gray area, intermediate scrutiny, is where sexism cases now lie. So think of, um, for example, uh, if a woman couldn't satisfy the physical fitness you know exam well is that a good enough reason why she can't be in the military maybe versus military you have to prove why this physical fitness exam is required if that makes sense okay yeah all right well um one last thing i wanted to talk about was her collars yeah. i love the collars for her robes she's got all like the custom ones like people have made different collars for her because um, she talks about how um, when she first started, all of the robes were cut for men with like the tie to come out. Uh, and so her and uh, I believe it was O'Day at the time um, wanted to add something that would fill that area. And so like they started wearing scarves and then over time, people started making her like all these different uh, like lace collars, jeweled collars. Bedazzled yeah. collars. <laughs> I like that she had one for when she's writing, you know, in the, the majority. The majority, right? Like, yeah. I won! And then she has a different one for writing in the... She's having a dissent. <laughs> yeah, and actually from a filmmaking perspective, I really liked how they made that transition because the last color she shows is the one, this is the one for when I'm writing a dissent. And then they go into talking about her being the great dissenter and how as the court shifted more to the right, she started writing more and more dissents. Yeah, it was a really nice transition that way. Yeah, setting up like, and this is the new part of her, the most recent part of her life is. <laughs> right, and I love the quote from, I think it was one of the law students or maybe a high school student saying, you know, it's not very often in our society where 85-year-old women are held in such high regard and we listen to what they say. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then they cut to a shot of like thousands and thousands and thousands of people all like hanging on her every word. <laughs> but I think that's a good point, though, that she is physically redefining what it looks like to be a, a justice, you know. So that's uh, also a nice uh, filmmaking segue. I do love when she's uh, at one of like the Q&As or like speaking events. Uh, someone like asked, you know, if she was uncomfortable with like the comparison to Notorious B.I.G. She was just like, well, why would I be com- Why would I be uncomfortable? Like, <laughs> she's like, we have a lot of cotton. Like, like first and foremost, we're both like born and raised in the Bronx, and it was just Brooklyn, like, Brooklyn. That's right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But- sorry, any New Yorkers listening. I'm sure they're like screaming. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love that. Um, and. Honestly, that was like one of those questions where I was like, yeah, why would she? Why would she be uncomfortable with that comparison? Like, And you can hear the audience when she's like, why would I be uncomfortable? And you can hear the audience's kind of nervous laughter because they're challenging that question in their heads. Yeah. Right? And that, then she waits a beat and then she says, well, we have a lot in common. More nervous laughter than a little bit of applause, and then she's like, ah, yeah, well, first of all, we're both from Brooklyn. Ah, ha, ha, ha. But that there's a... Um, uh, like, why do we have to divide people into these categories? Exactly. And yeah. I felt like, yeah, the way that she answered that was just so perfect Strategic to her ideology awesome. of, yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah, there's no reason why I would feel uncomfortable with that comparison. Yeah. <laughs> no reason. <laughs> um, I'm really curious to see for, um, and maybe folks can use the interwebs to tell us about, <laughs> based on our review here, of um, that how they dramatize this in the narrative version on the basis of sex because I feel like the documentary at least I mean it's a very very straightforward biopic that's you know you see photographs of her as a kid and hear about her from her childhood friends like it's a very standard biography that way but I'm curious to see how they I think they're going to ratchet up um, a lot of the it's one of the uh, people they interviewed described it as that the kind of sexism and discrimination uh, across in lots of directions was just quote just part of the scenery at that point in time and so i'm curious to see i think there's going to be a lot more dramatizing the it racism sexism are all just part of the scenery i'm curious i think that there's gonna be a lot of fist pumping there'll be like that like moment in uh, like hidden figures where uh yes. is it who is it uh kevin, kevin costner, costner like, yeah knocks down the, like, the, the, the blacks only bathroom sign the, like, yeah the whites only <laughs> or, yeah. yeah yeah i'd yeah. be interested to see how her husband is portrayed in the um dramatization i know i i know vaguely i think that the plot is supposed to it's not her whole life i think it's just supposed to be one period of her life so i i wonder if uh her husband comes off as uh saintly as he does in the documentary here yeah i think the the biopic is just focusing on like a period in the 70s Mm. yeah it seems like it would be uh from, from what this documentary shows i would hope that they wouldn't do something as like that would just seem trashy if it was like at some point like all of a sudden like Marty's like, well like what about my needs? Like what about my career, Ruth? What about me? That, that would be very very disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I yeah I'm I'm interested um, having seen this documentary to see the uh, the uh, biopic now because it it uh, as as Tara said this is a straightforward biography but that is by no means uh, uh doing it a disservice it's just you know they're they're using her life in its entirety up to this moment whereas i think the biopic depending on how it chooses to handle you know that one moment in time it, it could be interesting contrast yeah and i think that one of the other things that um kind of brought it down for me a little bit and that like um in any term, like in terms of quality, but just like emotionally was, um, you know, they're like asking her about retirement and like whether or not she like felt like she should have retired, like like when Obama still had like two or three more years left in his presidency to give him a chance to like have uh, justice confirmed, um, which again I, is in no way like her fault. Um, yeah, and, and they didn't use her most famous quote about that. They used a different quote. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, but I, I just felt like um, at this point, I, after all that she's like gone through, like cancer twice, like her husband has passed. Like I just like I really feel like she deserves to just like rest finally. And it's like 
and I know Do that you she's think like she wants to no no I don't no. well I don't know like I don't know what she wants. I don't. I can't say for sure. Like I know that she will like do her duty. For, like like she said, she will do her duty for as long as she can. Like to like uh, as long as she can do her duty. Like to the like hundred percent, she will do her duty. Um, and I know that like she doesn't and like regret that. But I just like at the same time, like personally, just like you know, seeing her like after like hearing like knowing all of this that she's gone through. Uh, I just I feel like she is pushing because she feels like she has to and like I don't know if she um, like I don't think she even thinks it's an option at this point uh, to retire so like, it's one of those things where I feel like I wish she even like had that option like if she should want it because like the way things are right now like <laughs> it was, I, I just I just I, I, I wish that she had a little bit more uh, I wish that she felt like she had a little bit more choice in that because I don't really know if she feels like she has a choice of retiring right now I feel like she's like yeah she she loves her work she loves doing what she does uh, but I don't know I feel like at this point if I was like almost 90 years old I'd probably like want to just like rest <laughs> but drinking a mai tai on a beach i mean and, and maybe, you know again like you What's know there are people have? who just like thrive on like working yeah. and there are people who love doing that so i don't know i yeah i thought that was kind of a downer too because this movie is celebrating her agency and then one of the last questions she's asked on film is you know why don't you give up your career so another man in power can you know, replace you. <laughs> that was uh, yeah. yeah, kind of a downer moment. And one of her answers to that was, "No male justice has ever been asked to retire," or something. So it was some, or I think, yeah, I don't forget what the exact quote is, but I think it was something like, you know, would you ask? I forget who her colleague was at that point, but you know, would you ask a male justice that question? Because uh, similarly, there have been some male justices pushing ninety who were still on the court, you know, a few years ago. So. Yeah, I just I think it's mostly just us living in the darkest timeline that yeah. is okay, just, going back it's just to sad in, yes. in general. Excuse me. Going back to our latest, uh, the comment Colin made earlier about our, or someone made earlier about the Kavanaugh trial. You know, yeah. The Kavanaugh uh, confirmation, right? Like, oh gosh. Yeah, I mean, when Bill Clinton says, you know, it wasn't as partisan as it is now, but, you know, it was still a contentious vote. Contentious means she got 93 votes. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. 93 out of 100. So not exactly the uh, nail-biter that uh, we've seen lately. Well, yeah, does anybody well, have... Just apart from my usual ratings, I did write down this quote that I loved, which was, all I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. Yeah. Talking about women just gaining some sort of equality. I, I just loved that. Yeah, they start the movie with that yeah. um, suffragette quote. Yeah. yeah, that's preceded by ask no favor for my sex. So again, yeah. just like, yeah, not asking not for treatment. anything more, yeah. just asking for equal footing. But uh, this movie has a 7.6 on IMDb, a 72 Metacritic, a 95 Rotten Tomatoes, and a 78 Audience Tomatoes. So once again, with these documentaries, we're seeing a big dip from critics to, like, general audience. I, I, I can't explain why. Is that part of the why. sample pool of how many people have seen it? Or do you think that that's also the nature of the difference between how critics review films I think it's I think it's just the difference between how critics review films and how you know Joe Popcorn reviews films yeah I would say I mean like I said I would watch an hour and a half of her explaining her Supreme Court cases in as much detail as she could <laughs> but that would probably get a low rating <laughs> <laughs> well I think that about wraps us up on the notorious uh -huh. RBG. Um, recommendations. We yeah, we got. We'll be right back here with some recommendations after the break. Recommendations. 
All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's have our guest uh, kick us off. What do you got for us, Jim? Uh, I, it's not a movie. It's a thing with words printed that you use your eyes to scan the words and then images happen in your head. It's called it's a, a book. Oh, oh I, I, I've heard of these. Yeah, uh, there's a seminal uh, behind-the-scenes uh, account of the Supreme Court from the 60s and 70s called The Brethren by Bob Woodward, famously played by Robert Redford in uh, All the President's Men. And if, you're, if you liked uh, this movie about... Ruth Bader Ginsburg behind the scenes and kind of seeing her life and that in um, comparison to her work. This is about the uh, Supreme Court in the years after the civil rights movement and how they dealt with major cases and it's about the personalities of those justices. So if, again, if this was something up your alley, that would be a good recommendation. Awesome. Tara, what do you got for us? I have three movies for the if you like this movie, you might like these other movies. So um, first off, Maya Angelou and Still I Rise, which is a um, you know documentary about the poet and activist. Um, My Universe Inside and Out, which is an animated autobiography of Faith Hubley, who was my mentor um, and also was, she's about probably five or six years older than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but she was called before HUAC and kind of lived through a lot of similar discrimination um, in her field as one of, I think she might be the first woman to win an Academy Award for animation. I would have to double check that, but. Um, and then lastly, uh, because this is a really straightforward um, uh, documentary about someone, I wanted to give an option for a non-straightforward, like really fun um, experimental hybrid of um, documentary and fiction called American Splendor. I don't know if you all have seen that about Harvey Picar, the comic artist, um, kind of about being a working class outsider artist. And Paul Giacometti, no, that's Giamatti. the sculptor. Giamatti, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, not Giacometti, that's the sculptor. Um, that, uh, <laughs> that he stars as Harvey Picar, and then Harvey Picar also stars as himself, and they kind of move in and out of semi-narrativizing his life. At one point, he becomes his own cartoon and his <laughs> own comic. Like, it's a really fun um, documentary biography. Interesting. Colin? Uh, if you're interested in the law, legalese, uh, things like that, there's a podcast called Court Appointed, um, where there is um, one guy who's a lawyer and another guy who basically just makes a bunch of dad jokes. But they'll go through the uh, history of how like a certain law came to be the way it is. Um, I haven't actually listened to it, but it is um, a McElroy Smurl product, so it's going to have that McElroy Smurl quality to it. Um, in terms of recommending something I do have experience with, I will recommend a graphic novel called Saga. Uh, it's kind of a uh, sci-fi fantasy epic, um, just amazing, amazing story. So read Saga. All right. Um... I will recommend something that is pretty much completely unrelated to all of this. Um, <laughs> um, I believe I've already rec recommended a couple of books in the Starlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. I'm currently reading uh, Oathbringer, which is a fantastic book. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it if you have already read the first two in the series because you kind of need to have some background so <laughs> uh the continuation of the stormlight archives is great um uh, another one that i've read that was really awesome recently was uh benti and benti home by Nettie akorafor um also um very good stories those are afrofuturism um they're sci-fi um it's about like a girl who is a member of this tribe and she's the first member of her tribe to get accepted into um this kind of uh, it's like a Hogwarts, but sci-fi. So it's like a sp international like space academy. So like being part of the 2% of women who are accepted to Harvard. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, that is also a fantastic read. Um, and those are my recommendations. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find us on all of the podcatcher places that you listen to all of the things. Uh, we are, I want you to watch this if you're listening this far in and you still don't know that. Uh, 
Wow. Um, but yeah. If you turned on this podcast <laughs> and skipped to now, uh, we need to discuss how podcasts work. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we are also on Twitter at IWITWT. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash IWITWT, where you can join the conversation about all of the movies that we're watching. You can recommend us movies if you want, if there's something that you want us to watch. Um, again, we've had this happen before. We can't always guarantee that we like the movie, but we'll watch it. You know, it happens. Not everybody likes all the same things. So just know that you can suggest things. We may not like it. We may love it. That's all about on that. <laughs> and you can find each of us individually, me and Colin at least. I am at Catharticus. I am at Colin Munch. And... Uh, Jim does lawyer things. He's he's fine. L- he's, lawyer things. Yeah, he's not, he's off doing his lawyer things. Tara's around. She's here. If you've got pass, something to say to her, you can say it to yeah. us and we'll let her know. If you want to tell Tara something, just send it to us. We'll pass it along. Yeah. All right. It'll well, be like the telephone game. Like it'll keep getting more and more ludicrous by the time. <laughs> yeah. She'll have her lawyer review all correspondence. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like foreplay for you guys? Just like mm, legalese. Ooh, documents. <laughs> let me see those documents. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, you guys have a good one. Bye.